So today's message is one of the, the sermons, I'm, the topics I'm most excited about. And it's one of the ones that touches me the most deeply, personally. And uh, it's the fourth part of our series on the foundations of our faith. So what I'm going to do is very quickly, um, I'm going to go through what we've been doing up till now. But my goal this morning is that you get a really firm grasp of the single most important idea in the whole of Christianity. Does that sound good? Yep. Okay. So this is our goal. So three weeks ago, I spoke about what God is like. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail now. We just talked about how God is different to us, qualities we share with God, and our experience with God, our experience of God. Then two weeks ago, I spoke about God and the spirit world and the different kinds of beings in existence, the pagan worldview, how to avoid it, and evil and suffering is origin and destiny. And these are online if you want to see the videos from these messages. Uh, Last week, I spoke about how the world got broken. And I'm just going to say this now because we're going to go in more detail in a minute about how this happened. But virtually everyone will agree that something has gone very wrong with this world. This week, I'm going to talk about how the cross and, that's supposed to be, and the resurrection put things right. How the cross and the resurrection put things right. So I'm going to recap how the world got broken. Then I'm going to speak about the solution, the new creation, how it works, what the mechanism is, which is union with Christ, and then what this means for us. Those are the three things we're going to go through. So, first of all, uh, just a, a recap how the world got broken from last time. The universe was beautifully and carefully constructed. It was a, a beautiful place of, of order, of harmony, of perfect love, and it was surrounded by chaos, and, and Adam and Eve were to, to extend the, the, the Garden of Eden into this chaos and just uh, cover it with God's, with the glory of God. So the first human's task was to spread this harmony, and the stability of this reality, this creation, depended on their maintaining their allegiance to God. So his power is flowing through them, and they are extending it out to the creation. Um, This enabled his life to be constantly flowing into them. So the key thing was that their allegiance to him. They were given a very simple thing to mark their allegiance, don't eat from a particular tree. So it wasn't that that tree was poisonous or anything, it was just a test of their allegiance. And Now a very important point is that it was that that it was just a matter of demonstrating their commitment to him to obey this one thing he'd given them. But there was another being in the universe who came onto the scene, uh, one that hated God, and suggested to them that God didn't really have their best interests. And in fact, um, God couldn't be trusted. And they didn't need God anyway, and they'd be better off doing, stepping out of allegiance to him. And their choice can be symbolized like this, that this is God's will. These are all the things that you you can do, that God has said are are good for you to do. Uh, Do you do something within this, this 
set of allowed things? Or do you say, no, what is best for me is outside of that. And God doesn't want me to do that. But that actually is the best thing for me. So this was the temptation. And actually, this sums up all of our temptations. We're tempted to think that somehow God is keeping something from us, which is better. But, uh, but everything within God's will is, is what we do when we submit to God and believe in his goodness. So when Adam and Eve made a choice to, to step outside of that, they broke this carefully, beautifully constructed universe. It was fundamentally broken. We don't understand the details, but the harmony was smashed. And this uh, didn't just d- uh, affect humankind, but affected the whole animal kingdom as well. It led to shame, and it led to all of the broken relationships with God and with one another that we have. Now, there's still beauty everywhere. There's still an amazing beauty because it's still a reflection of God who created it. And you see beauty in people still, but it's all spoiled by this rebellion. Now, um, in my early 20s, I was teaching some some children, and I, I was asked to teach kids about about the cross. And I... I can, I, I had a, um, what I did was I made, I thought I was very clever. I made this like scales out of wooden and paper and card. And the scales was like a balance. And then what I did is I got some, these children, I got, um, their, their sins as, as like pencils written on the pencils, what their sins were. And we put them in the side of the scales. And of course that side went down. And then I said, and now we're going to put all the good things you did. And I wrote them on pieces of paper. You know, I was nice to mom and I was nice to dad and so on. And we put those in. And the pieces of paper, of course, don't weigh down the other side because our good works can't over, overbalance our bad works. And then I said, and then Jesus uh, came along and I had this great big heavy weight with Jesus' sacrifice on it. And I put it on the other side. And of course, Jesus, uh, what Jesus did on the cross completely uh, counterbalances, more than counterbalances, everything that we did wrong. And I thought this was very good, and, and the, the, the kids did as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that as an illustration. Except, as I was looking in the Bible for some verses to kind of go with this, I discovered, actually, it was harder than I thought it was. Like there's, there's uh, Isaiah 53, verse 5, um, you know, by his stripes we're healed, and there's some other places. But I was expecting it to be more common. And uh, it wasn't until probably um, 10 years later than that, that I realized that I had, I had, that the Bible frames the problem differently to this. The Bible has a different way of framing the solution. And this is not wrong, but it's not the way the Bible expresses it. And when I understood what how the Bible put it, it was probably the, the biggest revolution in my Christian life, my theology of what I understood. And I hope you're going to get this today because it's a really key idea. So how does the Bible frame the problem and the solution? So I want to say, how the, does the cross and resurrection put things right? Uh, we've talked about how the world got broken. Now I'm going to talk about the solution, which is the new creation. And then we'll talk about Parts two and three. So, this is the plan. So, we've said the whole fabric of the universe is now damaged, and it is beyond simple patching up. It's beyond just putting a, a few band aids on it and fixing it. 
to rescue us, God had to do something radical. And this is the plan, that God would make an entirely new kind of reality that's perfect and invite everyone to become part of it. Rather than patching up the old, he would make something completely new and invite people to be part of it. And this we call the new creation. And God offers to freely give us this new life. This is a free gift. Uh, But he says, just as we entered this world, this creation, by being born, the way we enter this new creation is a new kind of birth. Uh, Jesus, there are different names for the new creation. Another common name is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And in John chapter 3, Jesus is using this name for it. Uh, and he's speaking to uh, Nicodemus, who comes to see him at night and <clears throat> wants to know about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a person is born from above, often our translations say born again, but actually a better translation is born from above. Because that word, John almost exclusively uses that word to mean from above. And so um, I tell you, uh, the truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The man was confused by this. What does it mean? Uh, how, how do I understand this? Uh, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Uh, Jesus explained that this creation begins inside us in an invisible way. It's, uh, it's spirit rather than physical. So this this new creation begins inside us, and he said, then he goes on to say, what's born of the flesh is flesh, and what's born of the spirit is spirit. So there's some sort of spiritual birth inside us. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must all be born from above. So I want to just sum up these two creations. We've got bodies of flesh because we're born into this world. That's how you get your body. You've, you've, your fingers, your hands, your legs, all the parts of you. But we, if we're Christians, we enter this new reality by being born from above. Um, what happens is God places his spirit in us in a way that can't, is not visible, but it's a spark of immortality that's in us, a spark of God's life. The, 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 the new creation life is in you. And uh, this makes us his children. And next week, I'm going to talk a lot more about this because um, this understanding this is the key to living the new life. But what I want to say um, right now is this new reality is just inside us. But one day, the physical world will also be renewed and our, our bodies will be renewed and we'll have new bodies. So right now, there are two creations. The old creation is still going, the new creation started, and so there's an overlap between the old creation and the new. So um, that's, that's basically what God, God is doing. So really the question then is, we're going to come to, uh, the, the, the second question is, sorry, is how did Jesus do it? How did he actually accomplish this? Well, he did it by taking on a human body. So he was born into the old creation. He became like one of us, and then he died in his physical body. So it went down into the grave. But what came out of the grave? Was it an old creation body? No, it wasn't. What we, when he was raised from the dead, he was the very first human of the new creation. That's why he's called the firstborn of the dead. 
from the dead in Revelation 1.5. He's the first one. And if we are joined to him, then the same thing happens to us. And I'm going to expand on this in just a minute. Um, so what Jesus did then, he initiated in himself, in his own body, the beginning of the new creation. So just to go to my, my outline, how the world got broken, the solution being the new creation. What I'd like to talk about now is the mechanism, how this actually happens, how this new creation actually gets connected to us. And this is by union with Christ. And we'll find, you'll find out now why you have a handout. And then what, finally what this means for us. So if you look at your handout, you'll see that um, you've got, uh, actually, can somebody give one to me? I didn't get one in the end. So, oh, thank you. Thanks. Do you have one now? Okay. All right. You, all right. Okay. You're, you're done. So, um, so what I'd like to do is to give you the overall, the big picture of how this is working. And um, then we're going to go through it in detail. So the first few verses, 8 through 10, we could summarize as beware of being cheated because you have everything. And then the uh, 11 through 14 is the bit in the box there, is you're united with Christ. And then the last part, so don't be cheated because you have everything. So it's framed symmetrically like that, with a key point in the middle, being united with Christ in verses 11 through 14. So what I'd like to do then is to, to, to go through this passage in a little more, more detail and uh, we will uh, understand what's being said here. So let's go through this now. Um, the, 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 first, um, the first eight verses, the, the first three verses then, um, beware lest anyone carry you off a spoil through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form, and you have been made full in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, I've color-coded this, and you'll see the... the, the uh, some of this is color-coded as being the, um, the the green, the tradition of men. And so you've got, and that would be old creation. So the, the, the stuff that's in green is old creation. And then we have um, Jesus, the blue, which would be Jesus, it would be the new creation stuff. And then we have two others. We've got the death and resurrection and united with him, uh, color-coded as well. And I'll pick up uh, on those as we go through. But in the first three verses there, you see, he's basically saying, he's talking about these things that belong to the old, traditions of men, principles of this world, and he says, don't, uh, don't be carried off by these things, don't be distracted by these things, because actually, um, Jesus has got something new about him. And then he begins to describe it, and I'm going to focus on this section in the middle here, the heart of the passage. Um, so, I'll read it and then I'll explain it. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in stripping off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. So, uh, 
what's this about circumcision then? Well, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a picture of something, was a picture of a new beginning, a new start. The baby was to be circumcised, not when it was born, but on the eighth day, which is the beginning of the second week. That's very symbolic in, in the Old Testament law, because the eighth day symbolizes a new start, a new creation, a new beginning, because creation begins on the first day through to the seventh, and then the eighth is a new start. And so this is what it's symbolizing, and it's symbolizing this new, this, uh, this new start is getting rid of the old and putting on the new. And the, the prophets talked to Israel about circumcising their hearts, which means having a new heart and, and not having the old. And so this is the symbolism he's using. And it's not quite as clear to us because we're not from a Jewish background, but they, they would, it would resonate with them. And then we have the key verses in this whole section and probably the whole of uh, Ephesians is in verses 12 and 13. Buried together with him in baptism, in whom you were also raised together with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him. So, um, this is about death and life, about being buried, about being raised. And when Paul says in verse 12, together with him, buried together with him, he's actually coined a new word in Greek there. He's actually put two words together to kind of double the strength, joined together together with him. It's kind of a very strong connection with him. Um, in whom you are raised together with him through faith. So here is the mechanism. So the problem with my analogy with the scales is this, that it's a very legal transaction. It happens, you know, you've got your sin, Jesus' sin is put there and it, you know, it's balanced up. That is not actually how it worked. It worked with a personal connection with Jesus. It's not that our sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to us. It's that he was joined to us and we were joined to him. And as we're connected with him, what is his becomes ours and what ours becomes his. And this is the connection. And I'd like Daniel and Miriam just to come out now for just a little demonstration here. So we're going to imagine that, that uh, Daniel is Jesus. I know that might not be hard to do, but there we go. If you have trouble, then just imagine he's Jesus and, and Miriam is us. So, so what's happened is he has, he has, he's become united to us. He's going to put his arm around her now and he is not going to let go. And so he's actually become united with us, but it's actually in a way more than just holding us. There's actually something about his being that's become deeply connected to us in such a way that whatever happens to him happens to us. That whatever we go through, he goes through. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it was counted as if we were there. And this passage says we actually died. We, we died with him. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and with a new body, because we're connected to him, we get everything that he got. And because he's in glory, seated at God's right hand, the Bible tells us we are actually there in the spiritual realm, seated right now. And when we have new bodies, that's where we'll be. Thank you very much. So um, this is, and I want to tell you, when I understood this, it was transformative 
in my Christian experience, that Jesus had such a tight hold of me that it was actually more than a tight hold. He'd actually become joined to me. And so my destiny was inseparably connected to his. Um, this is the core message of the gospel. And as I, when I came across this, I realized that this is why my scales thing was true, but it really wasn't the best way of looking at it. Um, the core message of the gospel is the way that is presented here. So what he says is, um, in verse 14, it says, forgiving or us all trespasses, wiping out the record of debt against us with its decrees, that that which was hostile to us, even this he has set aside, nailing it to the cross. So what is that about? Well, when somebody was crucified, they would actually nail the things they were guilty of onto the cross above them as a like a, as a warning. This is what the person did. This is what they're getting. And what he's saying is what was nailed, I know in, in, in actual fact it was, it was king of the Jews, was what Pilate nailed. But he says spiritually what was nailed actually was all the law that's against us, everything that we did wrong was nailed to the cross. And so it was paid for at that time because we were actually there in a spiritual sense. I know we weren't even born then, but God counted it as if we were there. And so it was paid for by becoming joined with him. And um, so he he this this then is the core message of what it means. Um, um, so uh, th- so this is the same as being born again. This is the connection. It's exactly the same that happens. It's the life of God that is now in you because you're connected to Jesus. Um, you're literally His child because you actually have His life in you. Uh, so. Uh, the, the key idea from this, I think, is that our destiny is inseparably connected to Jesus. And what he has gone through, we, we are, we go through. And we will go through. Um, so, uh, we're totally secure in him. So, he goes on then to apply this, and I won't go through these verses, but basically says that all the spiritual forces here, he calls them rulers and authorities, have been triumphed over in this victory, that they can never hold anything against us now. They can never point a finger at us and condemn us. They have no power because Jesus has actually broken their power on the cross. So the cross didn't just bring us from death to life, but also broke all of the forces that were had caused problems in the old creation. So, um, so I, I really want you to get this this morning because... It's something that if you understand is transformative, that to know that you're joined to him in this way is transformative. So what I'd like to do now is to, um, to, uh, let's, I've talked about the solution. I've talked about how it works. I'd like to talk about what this means for us. Um, so, Let's, um, let's, I've got an illustration and this illustration is so powerful for me that, um, it's almost like it's probably the most powerful illustration that I have of the, of what it means to be union, united with Christ in a tangible way. Um, and it's the story that I'm going to tell you comes from, uh, back in 1967, there was the greatest ever um, ecological disaster in the UK. 
where there was a, what they called a super tanker, the first of the super tanker oil tankers, um, a vast, um, a vast uh, ship came uh, uh, towards England, towards the Cornwall coast, and it, the, the captain, it was a very dark, stormy night. The captain made a decision about which way to go, which turned out to be the wrong way to go, and ended up by hitting a, a submerged island there and led to the ship not only running aground, but, but eventually completely breaking up. And I'm going to show you some pictures of this, and you'll, I'll explain why in just a minute we're doing this. Let's just see. I should have the pictures now. There we go. All right. So here, here is soon after it hit the rocks. And uh, then it began to break up. And you can see it actually split into two. And I want you to imagine you're on the deck of the ship. You're one of the sailors. You can imagine what you're feeling right now. And this is, this is a, a parable of what it means to be in this world, in the old creation. This is the old creation. It's going down. It's going down. Things are not good. What are you going to do? Are you going to try and patch it up? Maybe we could get a great big band-aid and join the two parts of the ship together. Would that be a good plan? I don't think so. So things began to get worse and worse. And here it's just completely breaking up. The reason it was a, such a disaster is because it was full of oil. And the oil just spilt and came right across the coastline. It was just one of the biggest cleanups in history. Um, so it's breaking up. Here's another picture. This is like it's about to go down. You can see the waves are going over it. So you're on the deck now and you can see the waves coming up. What's going to happen to you? Well, what happens is, here we go. These are the last minutes before it went down. What happens is, no lives were lost. These air sea rescue helicopters came along and they came over the ship and they let down the cables one by one and on the end of the cable is a harness. And I want you to imagine you're on the ship and the deck is kind of heaving and the waves are coming up and it's dark and there's the helicopter and this this cable comes down and on the end of this cable is uh, uh, a, a harness. I get emotional when I tell this story because this means so much to me. It's like a visceral um, connection with what Jesus has done for me. On the end of this is a harness. And you take it and you clip it around yourself. The moment you hear that clip, your destiny is connected with the helicopter and not with the ship. If the helicopter moves up 10 meters, you will move up 10 meters. You are no longer connected to the ship. You are connected to the helicopter. And the ship goes down, you are safe. And uh, so if you can get this image that I am connected with Jesus, that I am joined with him, his destiny is my destiny. The fact that he paid the price for sin and was raised from the dead, which meant his sin, his offering was accepted by God, then your sin is accepted by God. Your, 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 your um, cleansing is accepted by God. And anyway, I was doing some research and I discovered there's actually some archival footage of these helicopters. And there's, there's no, there's no, I'm going to show you right now. There's no, um, sound with it because, uh, it's very old, but, um, you can actually see, uh, some footage of this, um, this rescue here. 
Oops, there we go. I don't, you probably can't see much there. It's not much better on my screen either. Um, so here's, this is from the helicopter. And it's all, it's a very blurred video, but you can see it's, it's coming near. And then right at the end, so here's the helicopter coming down to pick people up. There it is. So this must have been filmed from one of those tugboats. Huh. And there it is hovering above the, above the deck to pick some, there it is picking somebody up. So what, what I want to say then is that to, to, to pull this together, and I'd like the worship team to come up now, um, to pull this together, um, Jesus died by crucifixion, which was the most painful way to die known to the Romans. Yet the physical pain that Jesus suffered on the cross was nothing compared with the spiritual pain <clears throat> that he suffered in his spirit from bearing our sins. He, they marveled that he was dead so quickly. He would, he died because not just the physical pain, but because he was carrying our sin. If he was an ordinary man, it wouldn't have, he couldn't have borne the cost of one person's sin. But because he's God, he could carry all of our sins. And when he cried out, it is finished, he'd paid the price for that. And in the book of Acts, uh, the, the preaching in Acts very clearly says, God raised him up again in demonstration that his, the price had been paid. The resurrection was the victory at the end of this work that he did. So he paid the price. He brought peace with God. And this is what is needed for our forgiveness. And so the challenge for you this morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus, is are you going to stay on the Torrey Canyon or do you want to be rescued? So we want to be rescued. You have to believe in the helicopter. You have to believe that it's safe. And it's not like Bill suggested that it's going to crash. You have to, but you also have to click the harness around you. And this is what it means to become a Christian. You have to put your trust in the, in the rescue. You have to simply put your trust in the rescue. You don't have to perform anything. You just have to trust. And that is just by speaking to Jesus and asking him to make you part of this new creation. That is all that is involved in doing it. He paid the price. He did everything that was needed for us. How much did he love us? This is what overwhelms me. And as I was coming to the end of preparing this message today, I was just thinking, he did this for me. Like, this is such a cost. He paid it for me. He loved me so much. He went through all of this for me. And I want to end by some verses in Romans 8 that put all these things together. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ. And that is what it comes down to. That is what our assurance is from, our joy is from, that he is ours and we we are his and nothing will separate us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we're amazed at what you've done for us and the completeness of your salvation. You didn't just try and patch things up, but you made things wholly new and you brought us in. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, we will live out of this new creation and we will receive the joy that is ours through this connection. Thank you, Lord. Amen.